Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. The company's been around for 18 years, and we've raised over $500 million to get to this point. A lot of companies talk about groundbreaking innovation, but very few actually do it. It takes dedication and persistence to bring it to fruition. We know we can do this. We know this works. We know it's not science fiction. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Innovation is about creation, but it's also about finding new spaces and places for those creations to be used. Today's guest has applied a centuries-old scientific process to solve a global industrial problem. Our guest today is Jennifer Holmgren, CEO of Lanzatech. Under Jennifer's guidance, Lanzatech is developing a variety of platform chemicals and fuels, including the world's first alternative jet fuel derived from industrial waste gases. She is also the director and chair of the Lanzajet Board of Directors. Prior to Lanzajet, Jennifer was VP and general manager of the Renewable Energy and Chemicals Business Unit at UOP LLC, a Honeywell company. While there, she was a key driver of their leadership in low-carbon aviation biofuels. Jennifer has authored or co-authored 50 U.S. patents and more than 30 scientific publications and is a member of the National Academy of Engineering. Jennifer sits on multiple boards and advisory councils, including the Governing Council for the Bioenergy Research Institute in India, the Board of Directors of the U.S.-India Strategic Partnership Forum, the Advisory Council for the Andlinger Center for Energy and the Environment at Princeton University, the National Academy's Board on Energy and Environmental Systems, and the founder advisory for The Engine, a venture capital fund built by MIT that invests in early stage science and engineering companies. Jennifer holds a Bachelor of Science from Harvey Mudd College, a PhD from the University of Illinois, and an MBA from the University of Chicago. Let's enter the arena with Jennifer Holmgren. What we do is we convert any type of waste carbon, any type of pollution to products that we use every day. And the mission of our company is to ensure that we can create a future where instead of this linear economy where we take fossil carbon out of the ground, turn it into products and then dump carbon into our atmosphere, into our oceans, that instead we create a circular economy that enables us to reuse carbon again and again to make the things we use every day. 
it's such a big idea. And there's a quote on your website, which I'm going to read and have you respond to it. It says, everything we use in our daily lives will be made from recycled carbon, mimicking nature where there is no such thing as waste. That's like such a huge idea, right? Yeah. It's cool. I mean, how are you kind of doing that? What is the science behind it? Absolutely. So so we, we do fermentation. You're used to fermentation of sugar to make beer. We make beer, but we don't use sugar. We don't use any food feedstock. What we do instead is we use gases. So at an industrial site like a steel mill where they have excess carbon-rich gases, we basically put a brewery up to the steel mill and we use their gases to make products. It really is just nature, healing nature, because our bacteria is a natural organism and it just happens to like to eat pollution. <laughs> you know, you, you make it sound so easy. Yeah, we just hook up a brewery to the steel mill, but obviously this technology must have been developed over a long period of time with a lot of capital put into it. Talk about how much has been invested in this to date and how, how long has the idea and the technology been worked on and refined? The company's been around for 18 years, and we've raised over $500 million to get to this point. So it's a disruptive process technology, and, and that's what it takes to get it to scale. We have commercial plants running, and so we know we can do this. We know this works. We know it's not science fiction. Yeah, it's not like an idea, like it's happening, which is cool. Exactly. How did this opportunity come to you, Jennifer? You have such a and amazing, amazing credentials and experience in your career. How, how did the Lanza Tech opportunity come to you? Well, I was getting ready to retire. <laughs> I'd worked 25 years, almost 25 years in the refining and petrochemical sector, developing technologies. What I like to do is put steel in the ground, build new stuff. And I developed the technology with my team in my old role to do drop-in sustainable aviation fuel. And what I realized is that, you know, the world uses 100 million barrels of petroleum every day. And what I was using at the time, cooking oil, animal fats, greases, carbohydrates, as the way to displace petroleum use, you just can't get there from here. It's just that there's a massive gap. You can't use food to make all these things. You can't use anything that uses land or water. It can have a contribution, but it cannot displace 100 million barrels a day. And, you know, Vinod Kosla was an investor in Lancetech and it was early days. They'd started to pilot the technology and they showed me the technology and they said, would you help us scale it? I looked at that and I thought to myself, geez, if this works. And then I knew you could use all sorts of waste feedstocks and that there was enough of it. And I thought, if this scales, it's a platform that will actually have a significant impact on that 100 million barrels per day of consumption. So I figured, what do I have to lose? I'm getting ready to retire. This sounds like a good, fun thing to do. And away I went. <laughs> well, talk about a legacy to leave. You're in the process of doing it. How about, obviously, with all the investment and the time in developing this technology, is it protected around the world? 
Absolutely. In fact, we just crossed our 2,000 patent mark. So we have 2,000 granted patents. The technology is so new and different that the patent office considers what we're doing very novel. And so we're able to patent really a lot of key areas around what we're doing. In addition, we have quite a few uh, trade secrets. You always keep certain recipes, etc., to only a few individuals. But even more importantly, what I always find is that your biggest IP differentiator is being at scale, because it's the learnings of operating commercial plans that actually distinguish you and from the competition. Yeah. And um, I think to invest all this money, you just have to have that protection, obviously. And it's a huge uh, and well-deserved advantage as you do scale this. Jennifer, how about as you recycle this carbon into chemicals that can be used for other things, what are some of the examples of products that are ultimately manufactured with the materials from the technology? Yeah, so right now we've been, of course, making sustainable aviation fuel. And to scale that, we formed a company called Lansig Jet, whose entire role is to make sustainable aviation fuel from ethanol. We have also worked with partners like Zara, like Unilever, making polyester for Sara dresses, making detergents and surfactants for Unilever. So we've partnered with quite a few companies that are using our recycled carbon ethanol to make things that they would normally sell. Yeah. And, and I think the cool thing is, you know, you're doing something great for the planet, but it has to have like an, an ec- economic sense about it, right? So you're actually turning carbon from a cost center to a profit center, no? That's right, actually. And and the benefit of that comes to the industrial emitters, the people who are emitting a steel mill gas as pollution, essentially. We're helping them capture their carbon in a way that it's just, it's not just a loss leader. And that's actually... One of the the cool things about our technology is it drives people to reuse their waste rather than create more waste. Yeah, and and that has to be an absolutely gigantic market globally. You know, when an investor sits there and, and says, hey, tell me about your total addressable market, how do you answer that question, Jennifer? <laughs> we try to answer it more from the back end, the potential products that we make. And that's a, we think it's over a trillion dollar market and that's more based on products. When, when you think about it from what we can use as a feedstock, that what we can convert, the answer is it's limitless, right? Right, right. Well, you convert is limitless, but your market, once it's converted, is huge. How does your solution, kind of decarbonization solution, stack up against other things out there in the market, other technologies like direct air capture and sequestration and things like that? How do you fit into that landscape and how are you different? Yeah, so we can use any carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide stream. So when you talk about direct air capture, we can partner and have partnered with direct air capture companies. They would be providing us with carbon dioxide that we could use to convert. So there's a lot of companies out there like that. Companies that gasify trash like Nexchem, companies that have 
technology to clean up CO2. (laughs) So we've got lots of partners out there who can provide us raw material for our fermentation. Things like sequestration would technically be a competitor because we're a reuse solution rather than a sequestration solution. But to be completely honest, we need it all. Right now, our carbon problem is so big that, you know, I don't see ourselves competing with sequestration. I see us as enabling the reuse of waste carbon. There's going to be a lot of instances where they're going to have to sequester because either we can't put a plant there or some other reason. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we need it all. Yeah, and the market's big enough for lots of companies attacking this problem, and hopefully that's, that's the case over time. How about, who are your customers, Jennifer? Where Where is the technology being deployed today? I know you're in China. Is there kind of a rhyme and reason behind kind of who the clients are and where the technology is being deployed right now? Yeah, so our first target was steel mills and carbon monoxide from steel mills. And China at the time produced 50% of the world's steel. So we targeted China because, you know, a small company, you, you go where there's density. And there was a lot of interest in decarbonization at that time. And so that's why our first plants were in China. We're now on our fourth commercially operating plant in China at steel and ferroalloy mills. But this year, we'll see two additional startups, one in India with Indian oil. They're using a refinery off gas. And then one in Ghent with ArcelorMittal, who's the largest steel company in the West. That one is in Ghent in Belgium. And that one will also start up later this year. We're starting to really start see growth outside of China, which is important to us to show what's possible. Plus, it's important to show that technology is flexible and not just good for one jurisdiction. Yep. And then as it relates to the company, Jennifer, maybe talk about the different business segments within Lanza Tech. I know there's biorefining, carbon smart. Take us through kind of what the company is, how it's organized. So what we do as a company is we license our technology. We want to put a plant everywhere where there is waste gas or waste available, right? And so there's no way we could put that on our balance sheet. And so we use a model where we license the technology. So what does that mean? That means we deliver one-time revenues around engineering packages and support for the startup. And then what we do is we have a running royalty. So for every ton of product our customer makes, we receive a benefit. We, We receive a royalty. So our core is to build as many plants as possible. But people need to know, as we were talking, this trillion dollar product market, people aren't going to build a plant unless there's a place to put the product, the ethanol, right? And so Carbon Smart is a business to get large players like Zara, like Adidas, like Unilever to say, I want this product. And that will enable more build out of the the Lancetech biorefinery. So really the carbon smart business, while it is a revenue stream and it's an important revenue stream for us, more than anything else, it's a way to pull through the build out of facilities that will eventually get us royalties. So those are the two biggest parts of our business. The third part is joint development agreements. So we have the ability, so the we make ethanol using 
an organism that's natural, but we've developed the capability, the synthetic biology, to genetically modify our organism to make other chemicals that are higher value than ethanol. We tend to develop those organisms, those biocatalysts, with partners. Like BASF is interested in the molecule octanol, we will work with them in a joint development to make it. Sumitomo Rico is interested in isoprene as a path to make um, rubber, and we'll work with them to make it. So really, our focus is to use that to, again, drive more build-out of facilities because what we're doing is we're doing joint development project to make a new molecule that people are excited to produce from their waste resources. I would think that most companies, the ones you mentioned, they have a ESG story to tell and you can help them accomplish those goals, correct? Absolutely. We can help them reduce their carbon footprint and find non-fossil routes, non-fresh fossil routes to make their products. Yeah, and we, you know, we didn't really come out and say it during the conversation, but really what was implied in that licensing model is when you first look at Lanza Tech and you read about what you do, you would think, wow, this is a massive CapEx situation, but it's actually not for you. It's a, it's an asset light business model, correct? That is correct. We use our capital to grow the business, to grow the technology, to be able to reach other customers. Lancetech has spent 20 years carefully laying the groundwork for its present-day growth. Crucial to that development has been getting biorefineries up and running, and I wanted to know how many are ready to go and what Jennifer sees in the company's forecast over the next couple of years. So we have four now operating and two more that will be starting out by the end of the year. Our forecast, we have a pipeline that's got 80 opportunities that we're chasing. With many of them, we have eight to 10 in a various engineering phase. Usually you have to do the engineering before you start construction. And so we've got eight to 10 that would be up and running in a couple of years times. That's what it would take about two years from now. You kind of casually threw out 80. That is an amazing backlog and, and really should give a lot of confidence, not only to your team, but investors and all your other stakeholders as well. I wanted to go back to one thing, Jennifer, that you you mentioned earlier in the conversation, which is Lanza Tech is a shareholder of Lanza Jet, correct? That's right, Tom. And you have a you have a deep personal connection to aviation, right? I'd love to hear the story and and really what the potential is there because you have a chance to really change the market here, right? Absolutely. So Lancet is really about converting ethanol to sustainable aviation fuel. Why ethanol? Because, well, ethanol is something you can make from everything, from every waste resource. We've told you that's what Lancetech does. There are a lot of other companies out there making ethanol from waste resources. And that means that the opportunity is is massive to feed a sustainable aviation fuel plant. So, and and I think ethanol is also an interesting story because everybody has a different resource in their own country to make ethanol from, and so it's a nice local supply chain maker, shall we say, and. 
we know that market is massive. One, the world uses 100 billion gallons of aviation fuel every year. And there's about 50 million of sustainable aviation fuel available today. So the gap is massive. There are global targets and requirements that mean we have to get to 10 billion gallons by 2030, considering how long it takes to put steel in the ground and to start up plants. You know, we, we've we got a lot of plants to be building. So it's a, it's just a massive opportunity. But you said I have a history here. It's an important opportunity. Aviation, even though a lot of people consider it a luxury, is an enabler for communication. You and I both know that you've got to see somebody, especially if you're having a bad day, to have a good communication with them. It's an opportunity for a kid to go abroad to college in an exchange program. These are things that are really important to our society. And so I believe aviation is important. So in 2006, I was asked in my old role whether the work I was doing at the time to make diesel could be adapted to make aviation fuel. This was actually something DARPA came and asked me. And I said, yeah, sure. They're similar enough. And we developed the technology to make sustainable aviation fuel. And in 2008, in December, after a lot of engine testing, et cetera, we flew the first flight with Air New Zealand using sustainable aviation fuel that was a drop-in. And what was really cool is by 2010, we did a flight with the U.S. Navy. It was a Green Hornet. And so we went supersonic. Well, I didn't. The Navy did. And um, what was cool about that is I always say, look, from 2006 to 2010, we developed the technology to make a drop-in sustainable aviation fuel. We got it certified for flights and we put it on a plane that went supersonic. And that's massive, right? That shows you how fast you can deliver a technology. And lots of people now are using that technology to make the sustainable aviation fuel that's available. But what we did is we showed it was possible that that you could do this. And, and so, yeah, I'm very excited about that. The plant for a Lanza Jet is going to be able to process or create 10 million gallons a year. Is that correct? And when when is the plant opening? Yeah, so we expect it to be mechanically complete by the end of this year and starting in the first quarter of, of next year. And it is 10 million gallons of sustainable aviation fuel. So it's a, it's a really great opportunity to show the technology at scale. Well, that whole story is just so ridiculous. You know, you have a handful of people who are changing the world. Talk about human ingenuity. When you're not even in the first inning, so there's a long way to go, and uh, it's incredibly exciting. I know there are other developments going on at the company as well. Your refining process is producing other chemical compounds like acetone and isopropanol, and you believe those compounds can be commercialized as well and sold in the coming years? Absolutely. So we, we've been testing isopropanol. We've already demonstrated it, actually, that we can make isopropanol from the same gases 
that we make ethanol. And we think that we'll be ready for commercial next year. And the reason isopropanol is important is because from ethanol, we can make polyethylene, right? From isopropanol, we can make polypropylene. So caps on bottles, medical plastics are all polypropylene. So we believe it opens up another very, very large market. So propylene is important. And then the reason we targeted acetone is because acetone is how all acrylics are made. And so if you can imagine all the things in your life that are acrylic, that's another massive market. So both of these, we should be commercially ready next year. And I want to share a vision with you. Uh, This is a long answer, but this is what's really different about the way the world produces chemicals today and the way we'll be able to produce them in the future. When you look at today's chemical production, it's all in petrochemical complexes and it's all with catalysis, thermocatalysis, right? And the thing about that is if I wanted to make ethanol, versus isopropanol, I'd have to build a completely new refinery acid, okay? With biology, you already have the acid. You've already built a plant that takes a gas or trash or something like that to ethanol. If you have a biological organism, a microbe that can make isopropanol, you just shut down your plant clean out the ethanol-producing microbe, and put the isopropanol-producing microbe. So you do not need to build another refining acid. So now when the price of isopropanol is high, you just make isopropanol. When the price yeah. of ethanol is high, you make ethanol. And so all of a sudden, it's we call it hardware software, like in computing, where you bought your computer, but you upgrade the software. So we build the commercial plant that makes ethanol, let's slip the new microbe in that makes something else and make more money. That is just incredible and way above my pay grade, but you know, I totally get it. The the financial implications of that are obviously like just drives the market for this and drives your ability to solve all these problems which just you know, obviously um, before you came along just was not possible. And so it's pretty encouraging when you think about the next 10, 20, 30 years regarding all of this stuff. So you're a public company, you're doing amazing work, you have all the macro noise, inflation and unprecedented rate of interest rate hikes and war in Europe and all this stuff. Companies can get sideswiped by all that stuff, Jennifer. When you sit down with investors, what do you feel that they don't get as it relates to the value of the company. And, you know, everyone has the right to look at a company on a 90-day interval, but this is not a, you know, a a linear thing necessarily, right? There's going to be choppiness and all of that. So first of all, I I actually am really excited about what investors do get. I mean, we've raised a lot of cash and the market reception is getting better. I think people are understanding what we do. We are not a 90-day cycle company because we're building very large assets. I mean, these plants cost 100 to $150 million. Unless you, you're building 20 at a time, things can be delayed. So I think if I were to say something about our trajectory, there's two important points. One is we 
are on a path to get to the exponential part of deployment of the curve, kind of like solar did, right? Where, you know, everybody was skeptical and saying, 100%, well, yeah. exactly. And now you see it everywhere, right? So we're at that stage now where we're ready for that breakout exponential growth. And as we build, you know, as we get to eight plants, 10 plants, we'll get to the doubling rates that that allow us to deploy quickly. So that's the first thing that I think investors need to consider. And then the second thing I'd like investors to consider is that we are at the beginning of creating a whole new industry, the ability to use gases and waste carbon to make products. We're only going to get better at what we do. Our yields are going to get better. Our economics are going to get better, right? Because you can always reduce your cost of the capital as you build more plants. So I think what people need to see is that while we're building now and it makes economic sense, five years from now, it's going to make a lot more sense. We're going to be that much better, which will allow us to deploy faster and faster. And it's it's the cycle feeds itself. The more you deploy, the cheaper it gets. That's what I'd like investors to really understand. And the only other thing is I like I said, it's this building of an industry. It's really hard. Uh, there's a lot of government legislation that's against you as you start out. Kind of like remember Tesla couldn't sell in New Jersey because they didn't have a dealership. You know, the sort of all this stuff kind of gets in your way. You gotta fight through it. You gotta fight through it. And and we're getting Getting, we're getting to the other side. <laughs> we're getting to the other side. Yeah, yeah, and it's happening. You know, it's not like an idea. It's happening. Where can our listeners kind of learn more about the company, and where can people find out more about the products? We tend to put on our website our products and our links to to press releases that of products that have been introduced, and then we try to give presentations as well externally. So. We'll, we'll try to be sure to let people know where we're going to be next. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is a protected technology. It's not like something that just happened yesterday. This is a, you know, 20 years of development by, by some amazing people, a protected technology around the world with 2,000 patents, a, an absolutely large and significant market. That's an understatement. And uh, it's happening. And so I, I think it's one of the most interesting companies I've ever learned about and congratulations on everything. And we'd love to have you back on down the road to check your progress. I would love that. Thank you so much, Tom. Lancetech has created a revolutionary product that disrupts the energy industry. In doing so, they also created a product adaptable to limitless markets and industries, guaranteed to create a significant impact on both profitability and sustainability. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Jennifer for joining me today on the show. The Lancetech team has developed one of the most progressive technologies of the 21st century. Their work is and will continue to change the world. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. 
References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.